Well, it's good to uh, be with God's people today and have an opportunity to celebrate the resurrection of our Savior. Let's begin with a word of prayer, and then we'll get into our study today. Lord, we're thankful for this song that has reminded us about the death that Jesus died for us and the position that we put Him in because of our sin, but also the the uh, last uh, verse that reminds us that we will be raised because of Him, that because of His resurrection, we are guaranteed our future resurrection and uh, a resurrection which will allow us to stand uh, with Christ and be counted as righteous, uh, no longer condemned because of our sin, no longer judged because of our unrighteousness, but now counted righteous because of Jesus Christ our Savior. And we're thankful for that. We pray that you'd help us to give our attention to you and to your truth today, to exalt our Savior in all that we do. We pray it in Jesus' name. Amen. Today we're going to conclude our six-week study on the fear of man. And so we've thought about the various ways that we tend to struggle with the fear of man. We have the fear of physical harm, the fear of personal rejection, and the fear of uh, shameful exposure. So is that the end of the story? We just need to see that God is bigger than people and that we just need to stop fearing people, start fearing God. Just, just cut it off. Well, it's not quite that simple. It would be nice if we could just say, okay, we've decided. We've, we've looked at the Scriptures. We've seen what we need to do. And now we're going to do it. But it's not quite that simple. We need to uh, change our, our focus. And as often is the case, or maybe always is the case, when it comes to putting something off, what do we also have to do? Put something else on. If we put off lying... We don't just stop lying. We have to speak the truth. If we if we put off stealing, we don't just put off stealing or else usually um, uh, we'll, we'll end up going back to that. Instead, we have to, to put on giving. And the same thing is true with regard to the fear of man. We can't just put off the fear of man and expect us to just turn into some kind of uh, uh, model Christian. Instead, we have to put on what we'll see today is a heart of love. And that's going to be our, what we're going to see today, the, the vision for a new life. Our vision for a new life is that we need to be people who are loving instead of fearing. And as we begin to properly fear God, we will grow in our desire and ability to love Him and to love other people. So, as we go through this, let me encourage you to think of specific people who you need to love better. Okay, we're going to talk about um, we're going to talk about some specific people in your life, but but think of specific situations because often when we think of in generalities, no, nothing really happens. We just think, okay, yeah, I need to love more. But when we think in specifics, we say we think, okay, this person, this person, I need to love more, and I need to love them in this way. Okay, that's what we're going to try to help you do today. Um, hopefully that will be a benefit to your walk with God. Um, and let me just remind you again that, that uh, as you know, fearing God and not fearing man is not an overnight process. Okay, Like all genuine change, it takes time. So don't expect that 
you're just going to make the decision and then it's going to happen. Expect that you it's going to be a series of right decisions. Okay, I've been fearing these people. I've been been submitting myself to really myself to really to what they want and now I'm going to start figuring out how I can start loving them. And so it's going to be a series of decisions that moves us on to genuine change, which is it, it's down the road. Okay? It, it's a process. Alright, so the uh, first aspect first aspect to our right vision of life is that we should have a reorientation toward God. A reorientation toward God. Let's turn to 1 John chapter 4, and I want to read a, a longer portion of Scripture to help us to get an understanding about how we do this, how we put off the fear of man and put on a heart of love. Alright, and as we read this passage, think about how John describes the way God loved us and the example that provides for us uh, that He provides for us and how we ought to love others. Okay, so how God loves us and the example of how we ought to love others. And you'll notice how important it is to God that we act this way as we read through this. First John chapter four, verse seven. Beloved, let us Love one another, for love is from God. Everyone who loves is born of God and knows God. The one who does not love does not know God, for God is love. By this the love of God is manifested in us, that God has sent His only begotten Son into the world so that we might live through Him. In this is love, not that we loved God, but that He loved us and sent His Son to be the propitiation for our sins. Beloved, if God so loved us, we also ought to love one another. No one has seen God at any time. If we love one another, God abides in us, and His love is perfected in us. By this we know that we abide in Him, and He in us, because He has given us of His Spirit. We have seen and testified that the Father has sent the Son to be the Savior of the world. Whoever confesses that Jesus is the Son of God, God abides in him, and he in God. We have come to know and have believed the love which God has for us. God is love. And the one who abides in love abides in God, and God abides in him. By this, love is perfected with us, so that we may have confidence in the day of judgment, because as he is, so also are we in this world. There is no fear in love, but perfect love casts out fear, because fear involves punishment. And the one who fears is not perfect in love. We love because He first loved us. If someone says, I love God and hates his brother, he's a liar. For the one who does not love his brother whom he has seen cannot love God whom he has not seen. And this commandment we have from Him, that the one who loves God should love his brother also. Whoever believes that Jesus is the Christ is born of God. And whoever loves the Father loves the child born of Him. By this we know that we love the children of God when we love God and observe His commandments. For this is the love of God that we keep His commandments and His commandments are not burdensome. 
the first thing that we see about uh, us having a reorientation, a proper perspective uh, toward God is that God's love is a costly love. Where do we see that in that passage? Can you point me to a verse that God's love is a costly love? There's several places where it shows up. 1 John 4, 7 through 5, 3. Okay, in this is love, not that we love God, but that He loved us and sent His Son. Okay, that's a pretty costly thing to do. Verse 9, by this the love of God was manifested in us, that God has sent His only begotten Son into the world so that we might live through Him. God's love is a costly love. He sent His Son to, to die. And in the, the incarnation, the atoning sacrifice of Jesus he provides the ultimate example of what it means to love others. And so, if God's love is a costly love, then what should we expect about the love that we are going to display to other people? That it also is going to be costly, right? That we should not expect that it will be easy. That, oh, we can just love people and, and it will be all flowers and roses and, and that sort of thing. That's not what love is. Love is is often difficult. And as we are reoriented toward God, we recognize that secondly, He had a choice and He chose us. He had a choice and He chose us. This doesn't or shouldn't boost our self-esteem. Rather, it should devastate us. It should devastate our pride. It should show us how weak we are in and of ourselves. In Ephesians chapter 1, verses 5 and 6, Paul says, He, God, predestined us to be adopted as His sons through Jesus Christ in accordance with His pleasure and will to the praise of His glorious grace, which He has freely given us in the one He loves. Paul later goes on to say that it was because of God's gracious work. Remember Ephesians chapter 2, it's been quoted often that it is by grace you have been saved. It's not as a result of work so that no one has room to boast. So if God acted toward us in this way, how can we act anything, uh, how can we act any differently when we love others? That is, when we love others, we should also, uh, it should also be a choice on our part. Um, and as we do this, we should not be looking for people to accept us. Okay, that's not what love is. Remember, that's, that's part of what the fear of man is. It is looking for people to accept us, to, to give us some sort of satisf- satisfaction. Love doesn't necessarily have to have acceptance. Love gives of itself without um, a, a thought of return. We'll see this later when we turn to uh, one of the famous passages in 1 Corinthians. All right, then thirdly, as we're reoriented toward God, we're able to rejoice in this God that has accepted, protected, and covered us. Okay, we, we don't have to get any acceptance or protection or some sort of covering from someone outside of God. All of our needs uh, are f- fulfilled in Him. And only as we understand 
God's love rightly and are reoriented toward Him can we begin to understand what our reorientation toward other people ought to look like. And so let's think about that. That's the next main point there, our reorientation toward other people. And that is that we should be loving and serving, not fearing and needing. Loving and serving, not fearing and needing. Okay, the first point that we saw under our reorientation toward God was that God's love was costly toward us. And so what we need to think about with regard to other people is that, as I said, our love is going to be costly to other people, and so that means that we can take risks when it comes to relationships. Okay, This may not work out for my benefit. And if that's the case, then that is a very good evidence that it is probably being done out of love. That you may be... Uh, working out of love because that is what love often does. You know, people are are people going to expose us? Are people going to hurt us if we put ourselves out there like that and and show some act of love toward them? Sure. That's going to happen. But as we read in 1 John chapter 4, we see that if we're loved by God, we demonstrate our love toward him by loving our brothers. Remember he said if if you say that you love your brother or if you say that you love God but hate your brother then you're really not a part of God. You really don't love God. Rather it's an indication that you haven't really got it. You haven't really understood what God's love is for you. Verse 20. If someone says I love God and hates his brother, he's a liar. Is what John tells us. So What are some of the differences between loving and serving versus fearing and needing? Okay, we're going to spend some more time later in talking about details when we get into 1 Corinthians chapter 13. But when it comes to loving and serving, we have to understand that that does not necessarily mean sacrifice alone or being nice to other people or saying yes. Because sometimes niceness and sacrificing and saying yes can be really just a a part of the clothing of the fear of man. It can be a way in which we can try to, to meet up to people's expectations for us or to gain their approval in some way. So I'm going to say yes to them. Or I'm going to, to, to give in a sacrificial way. Remember what 1 Corinthians chapter 13 says? You know, you can do all these great things, but if you do it out without love, then it means nothing. All right, I, uh, we'll, we'll look at that verse specifically later. So uh, just uh, tuck that thought away for a second uh, because we're going to go to another passage first. But sometimes loving others means doing things that will not initially or immediately be perceived as nice. Loving others could mean even saying no. Now, we have to understand that loving does include sacrifice, but as we will see, sacrifice alone doesn't equal love. It has to be uh, fueled by a heart of service. So, you may feel an intense desire to give to others and to sacrifice for them, but if it's done out of a heart to just simply please them, to gain their approval, then that has nothing to do with love. And that's not the type of love that Jesus uh, 
exemplified for us. Welch says it this way in his book, uh, When People Are Big and God Is Small. He says, Loving others makes life less comfortable. It means that I give up my own agenda for a Saturday morning in order to help a neighbor. It means that I get hurt when someone moves away. You see how love makes you more vulnerable. It means that people stay at our house when I, when I would be prefer excuse me when I would prefer to be surrounded with just my immediate family. And isn't that just like God's word? He says, just when we think we've adapted it to a comfortable middle class lifestyle, it messes up everything. God's word tells us to love others in the same way that we have been loved by God. Okay, so when I say that. Um, Sacrifice alone does not equal love. I'm not saying that love does not include sacrifice. Um, and we'll talk about that more as we go. Are there any questions so far on our reorientation toward God or others when it comes to um, trying to put off the, the fear of man and put on a heart of love? All right, who is it that we need to love and serve? Let's turn to Luke chapter. Luke chapter 6. This gives us the first category of people whom we are to love. Luke chapter 6. And we'll begin reading with verse 27. This is the Sermon on the Mount. And Jesus says, You've heard that it's been said. And then in verse 27, He says, But I say to you who hear, love your enemies. Do good to those who hate you. Bless, bless those who curse you. Pray for those who mistreat you. Whoever hits you on the cheek, offer him the other also. Whoever takes away your coat, do not withhold your shirt from him either. Give to everyone who asks of you, and whoever takes away what is yours, do not demand it back. Treat others the same way you want them to treat you. If you love those who love you, what credit is that to you? For even sinners love those who love him, them. This is a high standard. I mean, talk about being vulnerable. It hurts to love enemies. It isn't safe often to love enemies, and it's it's often scary. But if we're to obey Jesus and love as He commanded us to love, then we are to love others instead of fearing them, and we will extend that love even to the point where we're doing it to people whom we would consider as our enemies. And that is not any different from how God loved us. God didn't love these... Um, you know, us, because we were like little puppy dogs, and he just, oh, they're so cute. I just want to pull them up in my arms and hold them. No, they were we were wretched sinners. And, and in fact, we were his enemies. And God hated us, in a sense. Psalm chapter 5, verse 5 tells us. And uh, let me give you another uh, quotation from, from this book. By Welch, he says, When confronted with enemies, we should go directly to the Psalms. If we're not 
sure how to feel or what to say. When we are inclined to take matters into our own hands, the Psalms teach us to trust God. When we would normally insulate ourselves from pain, they, the Psalms, teach us to trust God. Instead of vowing that we'll never again move close to another person, we learn to trust God. Instead of extinguishing hope, the Psalms teach us to trust God. In the Psalms, it was the glory of God that was David's mission, not his own vindication. Now, I don't know what kind of circumstances you have experienced in your life. Maybe someone has hurt you pretty badly and you've thought, I am never going to trust another person again or I'm never going to trust this type of person again. But God gives us a different mandate than what the world gives us. The world tells us, blow those type of people off. You don't put yourself out there. Don't become vulnerable. Don't allow people to expose you or to to allow you to feel uncomfortable. But God says, no, we ought to love our enemies. When we consider the, the suffering of Christ that took place at the hands of His enemies and recognize that we were once just as they, it forces our gaze upon our own enemies to be something different. To realize that they, they could possibly hurt us, they could oppose us, they could make us look silly, but they're not comparable to what Jesus experienced from His enemies. The things that we will experience are never even close. And so... Welch goes on to say that God says that you treat your enemies the same way you should treat your enemies the same way you treat your friends and family. To love in this way, we need both power and discernment. We need power because we're incapable of loving the way Christ has loved us. And we need discernment because it's sometimes difficult to know what form love should take. So as a result, any time we're aware that we have specific enemies, we should seek counsel from the church in order to discern how to express that love. Now, this is an important point because love for enemies may take on different actions than love for friends. And so I would encourage you that if if you're struggling with how you ought to love enemies, then you should speak to wiser Christian friends here in our church. And uh, I'm not saying that, that we should love enemies necessarily in the same way that we would love our friends. I mean, often uh, we, need to, uh, we need to teach responsibility. There's other things going on there than just, oh, let's have happy feelings around people who hate us. Okay? There, sometimes, like I said, love mean, love, loving them means saying no. Love, loving them may mean uh, sacrifice or getting hurt or other things. All right, next, neighbors. In Matthew 22, verse 39, Jesus says, Love your neighbor as yourself. You remember the uh, Pharisees said, I believe the religious leaders said, Who is my neighbor? You remember what Jesus responded or how He responded? He gave the parable of what? The Good Samaritan, right? He's like, he, instead of just saying, Everyone is your neighbor, even the people whom you hate, um, he, he gives it a story. Okay, there's this guy and and uh, people person you would normally hate, and he gets uh, beat up and put on the side of the road, and so on. And the point is is that everyone is our neighbor. We need to look at the our coworkers, our our physical neighbors, 
acquaintances at church. And um, and the point is, is that there is no ethnic or social status or political status or age or personality that that sets up a boundary from who our neighbor is. Okay? Um, we ought to love our neighbors. We ought to show love to other people. And then next, thirdly, is uh, our brothers and sisters. And I think the New Testament primarily focuses, focuses on this point, that within the body of Christ, we ought to show our, the most amount of love to believers. And as we studied through 1 John um, on Sunday nights a few months ago, we saw this. That our primary, the primary focus of our our horizontal love, okay, our vertical love would be obviously to God, and that should be first of all. And but secondary, our secondary love toward other people, our horizontal love. The primary way in which it is expressed is to believers. Galatians chapter six, verse ten. Does someone have that for us? You can read it. Good. So, that's that's the point that we were looking at before. Do good to all people. Okay, everyone's our neighbor. But, Paul says, especially to those who belong to the family of believers. We should have a special love for them. Jesus says in Matthew 5, Therefore, if you're offering your gift at the altar and there, remember that your brother has something against you, leave your gift there in front of the altar. First, go and be reconciled to your brother and then come and offer your gift. Paul says in 1 Corinthians 1, verse 10, I appeal to you, brothers, in the name of our Lord Jesus Christ, that all of you agree with one another so that there may be no divisions among you and that you may be perfectly united in mind and thought. Now, why do you suppose that is? Why do you suppose that there ought to be a special kind of love within the body of Christ. What do you think? Okay. There's a unity of purpose and hope. What else? Okay. So we we've we've been put on a different plateau than than where the world is. What else? What is the church representing? Or who is the church representing ultimately? Christ. God. And so, sometimes, and maybe oftentimes, the only, the only way that people see God is in believers. Working together within a body. So, so here's the natural thought that people have when they see a divisive church. Okay, one that's that's constantly bickering at each other and fighting and pick, nitpicking. Here's what they see. If there's division in the church of God that represents Jesus Christ, okay, maybe they don't know, they can't say it in those terms, but but if if that church is divisive, then certainly there must be division within God. Maybe that's the way God is. And you know how people are are always looking for excuses. And so they'll use that as an excuse not to, to have a relationship with God. 
But ultimately what it does is it reflects on our Savior, on our God. It shows that, that, that what Jesus died for was not really that big of a deal because you know, the division that we have in our church is no different than the division that happens at my workplace where, there's, where it's full of unbelievers or the division that takes place in my neighbors, among my neighbors or my family. And so they just look at it as another thing, another social institution. And so not only do we have a commonality, a common hope, a common purpose, we've been put on a different plateau. We have the ability to love, unlike unbelievers, but, but we also exemplify God's love to other people. Do you see? And so it's very important. I think that's why the New Testament has put so much uh, time and effort into showing our need to be unified. Philippians talks about to to not be divisive, to constantly be showing love to other people. All right, and then finally to God, and hopefully you understand that these are not put in, in a um, order of priority, but we should have a love towards God. Um, we we've already considered our reorientation toward God, but let me just uh, point you to Matthew chapter 22, verse 37 and 38. Would someone read that for us? Alright, so Jesus boils down all of the commandments, all of the Ten Commandments, and we could say all the 613 commandments in the Old Testament down to two. It's all boiled down to two. One, love the Lord your God with all your heart. And then when you do that, you will automatically love your neighbor as yourself because that's part of what loving God is. Now this is completely opposite of what our secular therapeutic culture would would uh, suggest to us. They say that we need to stress an inward orientation, that we need to, to have more self-introspection, that we need to, the, the phrase is, know thyself to thy own self be true. But Scripture puts it another way. It says that we ought to know God and love our neighbor. And when we truly do, then we will know ourselves. So, when it comes to other people, what I, what, I, what I was saying is earlier is that we don't, we shouldn't fear them or need them, okay? And and in one sense we shouldn't need them. That they have to fill up my love cup, and as long as they do, then I'll be happy enough. Okay, we shouldn't need them in that way, but we do need them in one sense. We need to show our love to them because that's what God made us to do. He didn't make us to fear other people. He made us to love. Turn to First Corinthians thirteen, and I think this will be helpful to, to show us where our love should be pointed and and what it should look like. Because if we're going to understand how to love properly, what love looks like, what shape it should take, then we have to understand it from the Scriptures. And so Paul lays out a comprehensive explanation of what love is and what love is not. 1 Corinthians 13, If I speak with the tongues of men and of angels, but do not have love, I have become a noisy gong or a clanging cymbal. If I have the gift of prophecy and know all mysteries and all knowledge, 
If I have all faith so as to remove mountains, but do not have love, I am nothing. And if I give all my possessions to feed the poor, notice the sacrifice, and if I surrender my body to be burned, but do not have love, it profits me nothing. Love is patient. Love is kind and is not jealous. Love does not brag and is not arrogant, does not act unbecomingly, does not seek its own, is not provoked, does not take into account a wrong suffered, does not rejoice in unrighteousness, but rejoices with the truth, bears all things, believes all things, hopes all things, endures all things. Love never fails. So in 1 Corinthians 13, we see what love looks like. And I've listed those for you in uh, 18 points. Now, if you're struggling with the fear of other people, then you need to sit down with 1 Corinthians 13, take a piece of paper or pull up your computer and start thinking about these descriptions of love and how you can you can participate in these as you are praying about them and you participate in them or, or practice these things by doing it to, to another person. Okay, so at the beginning I said we need to think in specifics, not generalities. So here's what I would suggest that you do. Think about one person who you ought to love, okay, or that you want to love, and think about how these things apply to that person. And as I said, go through them and think specifically. Okay, love is patient. Am I patient to this person that I want to love? Am I being patient with them? Alright, it is kind. Am I thinking more about myself or am I thinking about showing kindness to them? And so on. Go through the whole thing. But then also, not just one person that you want to love, but another person who you don't necessarily want to love and think about how these apply to them. Okay, we could call that person an enemy or someone that we the person that you just have to grit your teeth and, and swallow around, that type of person. Okay, think about how these things apply because God commands that we love both of those types of people. All right? And this will have you'll you'll find that this will have a profound impact on your relationships. Okay, so don't just go here, go from here and go, okay, yeah, another thing I need to love. You really do need to sit down and, and allow the Scriptures to grip your thinking and your practice so that it, it actually affects what you do. And it's not going to happen just by just having something click in your head. It has to, it usually takes work. All right, how does this shape... Uh, the church and serve to show the gospel. I, I mentioned that earlier, so I won't spend a whole lot of time there. And that is that that we represent who Christ is. What I do want to do is point out to you a commitment that you made when you joined our church, and that is part of our church covenant. It says this: We engage, therefore, part of Ambassador Baptist as uh, as a part of Ambassador Baptist Church by the aid of the Holy Spirit, to walk together in Christian love, to strive for the advancement of this church in knowledge, holiness, and comfort, to promote its spirituality and prosperity, to sustain its worship, ordinances, discipline, and doctrine, 
And then later on it says, We further engage to watch over one another in brotherly love, to remember each other in prayer, to aid each other in sickness and distress, to cultivate Christian sympathy and feeling and courtesy and speech, to be slow to take offense but always ready for reconciliation and mindful of the rules of our Savior to secure it without delay. So if we think back all the way to the beginning, 1 John chapter 4, what we ought to do is remember that God loved us in a costly way and that we ought to love others. And, and we can only do this when God has loved us first. And since He has, then we sure, certainly should display it that way. All right, developing a true servant's heart. How do we carry it out? First of all, we need to think about the motivation behind it. I think this is often what drives our lives. It often determines whether or not something is done in a right heart or in a right way or a wrong way. So how do we know? How do we know if we're doing it out of love or if we're just doing it for some other reason? Well, ask yourself this question. What is your response when someone doesn't respond with love in the way that you wanted them to? What is your response when they refuse your your help or when they um, when they don't give you enough credit that you think you need? I mean, what is your response? That'll tell you. If you if you're looking for that sort of thing, if you're disappointed when you you put yourself out there and you you sacrifice in a way and you're doing it if you're doing it so that they can give you something back, then that's not love. When you make a dramatic move of love towards another and they respond with indifference or worse with anger, then how do you respond? I mean, what what are you thinking at that time? I mean, if you have clear expectations about what you want to respond or what how you want them to respond, then then that gives you a good indication of where your heart is. All right, secondly, and maybe more importantly, look to Jesus. Philippians 2, 3 through 7. Do nothing out of selfish ambition or vain conceit, but in humility consider others better than yourself. Each of you should look not on, on your own interests, but also on the interest of others. Your attitude should be the same as that of Christ Jesus, who, being in the very nature of God, did not consider equality with God something to be grasped but made himself nothing, taking the very nature of a servant, being made in human likeness. So, as with most doctrines or practices, one of the best things that you can do is study the life of Christ. How is it that Christ loved? And who was it that He loved? In which way did He show His love? Because He gives us the example as we see there in in Philippians chapter 2. And then, uh, I mentioned this when I was reading through the covenant that we ought to regularly be praying for other people. This is a great way in which we can display our loves for other people. That is, that we pray for them. Pray the Lord. Pray that the Lord will give us a heart of love for them. One of the hardest things to do is pray for someone who is unlovely. Okay? It's easy to pray for maybe some of their needs or something, but to pray for their spiritual growth or for your attitude towards them, that's one of the hardest things to do. Because basically we're, we're making a confession before God that, that we don't love them very much. And 
we're we're uh, not living as you tell us we ought to live, God. So please help us in that. And then, as I've trying to been uh, as I've been trying to point out, we should pray in specific or minister in specific ways, not generalities. Oh, I love you, or I, I'm going to show this person I love them by whatever. It has to be in specific ways. And that goes back to what we looked at when I, uh, when we looked at First Corinthians 13, and that is that, that choose two people right now. Okay, think about them right now. Someone you want to love, and someone that's unlovely and hard to love, and think about how you can minister to them based on First Corinthians 13. And the result will be um, a unity, which is back to what Jared and, and Mark were saying about one of the purposes of our love in this church is that it brings together us as a unified body of believers so that we can fix our compass, our purpose, our goal on the same thing. That is, on Jesus Christ. He's our, our north star. Okay, And when we're unified, we will all be going towards that same goal. <clears throat> um, and then we, sh- we will have a genuine respect for other people. Um, We'll get to know them in a deeper way. Certainly, we will become more vulnerable. There will be times when we're hurt. Because we love them so much, we'll see when they move away that it'll hurt a lot more than those people who we've been distanced from. And um, and then finally, the uh, fruit of the Spirit. As we live in the fear of the Lord, we begin to more fully understand what it means to be controlled by the fruit of the Spirit. Remember the first one? Love. Love, joy, peace, and so on. But love is one of the ways that we display that we are a Christian. It's one of the very essential things that we have to live by. All right. Any questions or comments on what we've talked about today? All right. Thank you for your attention. I would strongly encourage you, as I plan to do, go through 1 Corinthians 13. You have all those listed out for you, all those items regarding love, and just think about yourself in relationship to that other person and how you can um, you can better love like God would have you to love. Let's pray. Lord, uh, certainly it's been good for our hearts to be reminded about our consistent focus on other people and trying to please them and... It's been good to be reminded how we ought to love like Jesus loved us. There's no better way that He could have shown His love than than when He laid down His life for us. And how can we not overcome some frustrations or pet peeves that we have with some people, perhaps even people that are close to us, and not love them as You have told us to love them? Lord, help us not to just go from here and go... Yeah, that's a good thing. That's that's great. But that we should go away from here and think specifically of how we can better love those near us and those whom we have distanced ourselves from. Lord, we need the help of Your Spirit and the power of Your Word to instruct us. So please help us in that way. We pray it in Jesus' name. Amen.